Good morning. This is Jennifer with Online for Authors, and today our featured guest is Timothy Reynolds. Timothy, uh, you are a writer of fantasy primarily, but I understand that you are branching and have branched into many different genres. You and I have met through When Words Collide, and I've read that you are a Canadian twisterian bending and twisting history in your fictional shapes and searingly entertaining so let's let's get to know you a little bit better okay uh you can call me tim it's it's easier roll it's it's a lot rolls off the tongue a little better than timothy um the twisterian part comes about because i actually have a degree in history and i love to take the history we know and add a few crazy features to it in some cases go way out of there um the broken shield which was uh my first self-published novel is an urban fantasy that covers two thousand years of history it starts in modern day calgary on the 50th birthday of the hero but that same hero took the the holy grail from the hand of christ at the last supper so he's oh been gosh. in and around he's been in and around history for over 2000 years and he's one of a special breed of human beings so i i go through that and i and, and i have taken his actual historical events and situations and put him into it so that the reader goes well i don't remember that but i don't know everything about history that's possible so just little things like that and i even bring elves and dwarves right into calgary and uh, and the final battle scene involves a troll in the in the town site of Banff. So you know, anything's possible in my stuff. But I like to twist it and play with it so that part of it sounds familiar because you may have heard about it through a movie or something you studied in school. But I take it in a direction you're going, oh, no, that's a cool twist I hadn't heard of. You know, this is I love this, Tim. And thank you for sharing that, because, uh, you know, the, the settings that you have are two of my favorite places, uh, Calgary and Banff <laughs> that you've mentioned. And, uh, you know, anytime we local uh, indie supporters are actually uh, reading material that relates to places we recognize, it's, it's just one of those other anchorings, and it brings us into the story that much more. So I just want to share, too, that uh, a Canadian writer and photographer, but you, you have a very eclectic background in the sense that it, it, former everything you're referred to, uh, stand-up comic, teacher, editorial, cartoonist, uh, short order cook, game show contestant, <laughs> canoe wrangler, like these things, Pavarotti, like, my gosh, like you would have people chasing you everywhere, <laughs> trying to figure out where is Tim going to be next? <laughs> I've tried to settle down a little bit. Um... Those are most of those things, you know, from the 80s and the 90s when I was trying to figure out who I was. I'm still trying to figure that out as who, who I am as a writer, but uh, it's just, you know, I've just done stuff for the fun of it and jobs have fallen in my lap. Uh, paparazzi was, uh, I was a hotel photographer and we had a celebrity sports event and I was asked to take the pictures for the company and have met some of the most incredible people from buzz aldrin christopher reeves um concerts that i've been to as the only photographer sitting next to bruce springsteen's ex-wife and rod stewart's ex-girlfriend while chris christopherson was three tables over and just stuff like that that i just sort of 
you know, I'm in the right place. And I go, okay, really what it is, it's just an opportunity. And someone says, well, you want to do this, you want to do that. Renting boats on Lake Louise was ended up being a job because uh, someone said, look, come work for the sports department. And I knew the people that worked, who ran the sports department. I thought, okay, I can do that for, for a while. And uh, it's all about saying no, never. <laughs> that did, that's my tongue is, it, it's Sunday morning. My brain isn't working. The time's difference. <laughs> it's, about, it's about being open to opportunities. And my writing's much the same thing. It's, I get an idea. To, I don't say, oh, well, that's not fantasy or that's not sci-fi. Yeah. Um, I can't write. That. Oh, to heck with it. I can, I'll write in any genre that catches my interest. Although I'd like to find one that my readers can stick to. Because when you write in eight genres, you will, you'll have to find a little bit of overlap. But that's one of the difficult things about not picking a genre uh, so far to, and sticking with it is because I've got fans in different areas. And my mother loved Waking Anastasia, but she read The Sisterhood of the Black Dragonfly and was lost because she doesn't read fantasy. She's never, you know, she's barely heard of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, let's go back to Waking Anastasia because I understand that although it's not your most recent published book, it is, it has been picked up by a publisher and made into an audiobook. So share a little bit more about that one for us. Okay, well, Taiki Books published the originally published Waking Anastasia in 2016. 2016. And uh, it's, it did wonderfully. It, uh, unfortunately, we did our official book launch on the same day as the Giller Awards and the U.S. federal election. Oh, so we got, absolutely, we got absolutely no press on the, 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 the publishing side because of the Gillers and because Donald Trump won the election and the world stopped thinking for a, a couple of days to try to sort it out. Um, so and then we Waking didn't Anastasia is your second novel. Yes, and it is. Okay, and so and it's based on an original screenplay, correct? That's correct. Yes, I originally wrote it as a screenplay. Okay, and what was that called? Uh, it was simply called Anna. Okay, and, and yes, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, and uh, there are quite a few changes from screenplay to novel form, and I would never recommend novelizing a screenplay unless somebody offers you a great deal of money. It so is a long, what was a long tedious. Part. Okay. So how is it? What does it take? Well, a screenplay is stripped down. You don't have scene details. The director, the art director, the director of photography, they do the work. So really all you're doing is putting in the dialogue, setting the scene, you know, indoor, outdoor, um, a couple of lines at the most to describe it, like old Victorian home, London, England that might be all you give them or modern flat San Francisco. And they go from there. Uh, the dialogue, the story itself, the writer's responsible for the screenwriter. The problem is when you've written 110, 120 pages of something so stripped down to go back and then put in all of the details, you have to reread the scene and say, okay, well, what does that chair look like? What is this? All those little details that a novel reader is involved with and getting absorbed by those details don't uh, don't exist in the screenplay so you have to put them in yeah. and to take a story you've already written and then start to build it up again it's 
it was frustrating. I would rather take a novel and turn it into a screenplay because it's easier to take away than it, than it is to add well. I mean, anybody can add to it, but to build those scenes up again was, uh, was difficult. Even the ending of the book is completely different from the ending of the screenplay. Well, it seems to me, though, in having done this, Tim, it might have been an exercise that, although it was frustrating, has served you well, because this no novel is is um, being shared as a humor-filled paranormal story pitting an ill radio station manager soured on love and women, and very, like, not optimistic, and Waking Anastasia was a... Um, was one of Calgary's bestsellers and it was long listed for a $10,000 2017 Alberta Reader's Choice Award. So a gift in having done the exercise as frustrating as it might've been. Oh, definitely. The exercise, it was, it, as a writer, it was a, it was a great lesson to learn a great exercise to do. And an exercise doesn't do it justice because it took, two or three years for me to novelize that screenplay. And I started actually, I did the first chapter and workshopped it with Jack White and a number of uh, Calgary writers, actually um, Canadian writers. We were, we came from all over for that uh, workshop. And uh, so it was, it was an excellent exercise and I've gone um, and, but the, I also had it professionally critiqued after I had written the first I think I had three drafts done so that it was, I felt it was clean and the critiquer came back with some really good points that it was too negative, that the character was too hard on his mother and their relationship. And so I had to, I had to bounce it up a little bit. And even though the characters, uh, Jeremy is sick, probably dying. Mm -hmm. He's a character who looks at life with humor. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tried. That's, what I've tried to do. And Anastasia herself, um, for those of your listeners, watchers who don't know, it's based on Anas Anastasia Romanova, who was one of the Romanovs that were executed by the Bolsheviks back in July of 1918. Anastasia was the youngest of the sisters. I believe she was 17 at the time. Yeah. And Queen, Queen Victoria's great-granddaughter, all of the kids were her, she was their great-grandmother. And so it's a very dark time, but the research I had on Anastasia was that she was a practical joker. She smoked. Um, she was the smartest of the sisters, uh, gifted. I've, I have copies of her sketches and notes to her father, and uh, she was quite the character. And quite I wanted to bring... Eh? Oh, she was. Her, well, her, <laughs> her, nickname was, her nickname was Shibchik which is a Russian-German mashup that means the imp <laughs> because she was always doing, she was doing selfies in, um, in a mirror. She was also an avid photographer doing selfies in mirrors when she was nine, I think, which would have been 1910. So way ahead of the whole, I've got an iPhone kind of stuff. And I wanted to bring her to life and use those notes. And it's a side of Anastasia that is quite accurate but that you won't see in uh, any other form of fiction, any of the movies, especially the one with Bartok the Bat. Um, <laughs> so it was, uh, but even the ending was too much of a downer for my critiquer. Mm -hmm. So I had to, uh, so I had to change the ending. So 
Uh, understanding that uh, Jerry Powell is actually, he inherits a, a torn blood-stained book of poetry and like really has no idea that it contains Anastasia's soul. He actually awakens her ghost. And, yes. and so from that point of view, like, can you tell me too the difference between say like an editor and a formatter and a critiquer? Like what would be the difference there? Um. Well, the critiquer is going depending on the type of critique you've asked for. You can get a uh, you can get a line by line critique, or well, that would be an editor. Critiquer would generally, from my experience, be somebody who's looking at the overall project, saying, "What doesn't make sense? Are these characters believable? Is this an enjoyable story to write?" You can hit all of the check marks on the list of things that uh, that are good in a book. But if when you're done with it, you go, I have absolutely no emotional attachment to any of those characters. I didn't enjoy it. Then you have to, you may have to make some changes unless that's what you're trying for is to depress the reader. And not everything needs to be happy, happy, joy, joy, let's sing Kumbaya. <laughs> I mean, I almost always kill characters that you love in my book. Sometimes it's the hero. Yeah, I don't like you for that, by the way. Sorry. But that's life. Actually, The Broken Shield, I wrote it as a dedication to many of the people who've died too young in my life. So a lot of the characters in it are real people who had uh, either friends who had taken their own lives or died in car accidents, or my own father who you know died of a heart attack when he was in his 50s. So little things like that. So with Waking Anastasia, it's actually... Jerry's great-grandfather that he inherits this book from is based on my own grandfather who was in Russia in 1918 at the site that the Russian royal family were executed at and took photographs of the scene that we had in the family until the early days of the Cold War when my Lieutenant Colonel uh, uncle turned them over to the RCMP. So that's actually the scene in the opening that opening, one of the opening scenes is based on the reality as much as I could find of the family. And That's so fantastic. Jerry's, sorry. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that and your family with us. I mean, you're bringing yourself into, into your writing and sharing bits of you along the way. That's something, uh, you know, that is very admirable as a writer when you can do that. Oh, I try to write, they say, write what you know. And in the beginning, Sometimes it's easier to write characters that are similar to yourself or similar to the self you want to be. I wanted to be a radio DJ. So Jerry's 25 in the story. And if I had taken a different path, I would have been, you know, I would have been Jerry in many ways. It starts off at St. Mary's, which I spent six years as a teacher. And uh, there are little aspects of it that are based on conversations I've actually had in my life, relationships I've had. So it's in many ways, it's autobiographical, even though it's totally fiction. Right. If that makes that makes sense. And in the beginning, many writers need to do that. Um, but most people don't think that they, they are exciting enough to, you know, well, I, I'm boring. I live a, you know, a quiet life. Nobody wants to read about me. Well, then pick a part of you that, you know, if you've always wanted to skydive, you know, maybe pick something a little more exciting to do that. Yeah. And so that's why I took my life and made it much more exciting by giving him a ghost to fall in love with. Yeah, you know, it's fantastic. What else would you like to share with us about, you know, any of your 
um, challenges or successes that you've had along the way in, in your years of writing? Um, well, I would suggest the critiquer was a terrific idea. She doesn't do it anymore, or I would give you her name. Um, it was something she'd start off. She'd been an author as well. And I found her through Facebook, through a friend of mine who writes, who's uh, written 20 novels for Harlequin. And so it was, and she was in New Zealand, the critiquer. So don't be afraid to use Facebook and the other social media to find somebody, but get recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, I've got friends who've paid thousands of dollars for editors to tell their story and they've been completely ripped off. Yeah, it's unfortunate, uh, but yes, so, getting a good editor is also a fantastic idea. And we do yes, have exactly. great recommendations there. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, you can find them on, on Facebook. Facebook's what I tend to use. I've got 2,800 Facebook friends and the networking is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Waking Anastasia is sitting on a producer's desk in Hollywood right now because somebody asked to see certain uh, certain types of stories. I sent it to him. He said, I'm going to hold on to this. It doesn't fit what we're doing, but I like the idea. So and you don't be afraid to step up and say, okay, here's my idea. This is what I'd like to do. But also listen to the critiquers. Yeah. Um, don't sell your don't sell out when somebody gives you when they like I changed the ending, not because I was told to, but because the reasons they gave me for changing it were right. Um, I had a very downer ending to the story. And when someone said, well, try this, this or this. And I suddenly realized that the grandfather the book starts with, I would end with something similar to his actual death. And uh, I can't, I don't want to give away the story and right. who, who I'm talking about in terms of who died. No, who um, done it, yeah. But uh, if it hadn't been, if I hadn't listened to the critiquer and then again with the editor from Taiki Books, um, I would have, la the, the story wouldn't have had the same polish. Uh, it's not just the ending, all of the relationships needed to be tweaked. And uh, my ego wasn't so big that I didn't think that I needed help. So, oh, okay. Oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. And, mm -hmm. but if you've got something you're going to stick with, then you need to be able to stand up and say, you know, there's a reason for this. Be able to explain yourself to your, if it's a publisher or your agent, and they've said, well, I'd like you to, you know, get rid of this character. And I says, well, this character actually comes in later on and they're very important. Oh, okay. Thank you for explaining it. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it needs to be a dialogue. Yeah. I do want to bring up a couple of things because you have mentioned, um, you know, just how many friends that you have on social media, uh, you know, the, from the online point of view, that's the, the online presence is very, very important. But at the same time, engaging one on one um, and getting involved in the writing community is really huge. And I just want to share that we met through When Words Collide and I have seen you speak at When Words Collide. As a matter of fact, I think this year you you were there and um You've done something, again, a lot of authors never do, and, and you um, put a, a green cover on your the sisterhood of the black dragonfly, and it's turned out wonderfully. If you happen to have a copy of the book handy there, I'd, I'd like you to show it, and it's a beautiful cover. It's fantastic. Thank you. you told the story of how it came to life. Uh, you, you gave us a, a good idea of, um, you know, basically what's going on in that book. I mean, not only have you contributed to books that are um, multiple stories, but you have your stories are one-offs. So you don't necessarily, you haven't necessarily picked a series. 
Not quite. Um, my science fiction novel that my agent, uh, Naomi Davis, with Bookends Literary, the current project that she has out to the publishers now is a science fiction novel that I started in the late 80s, and it's gone through a few iterations to get where it is now. I needed to actually live my life to be able to add life to my books. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, we are trying to sell it as with serious potential. Okay. Because the world, I, the world I created for it um, has the potential to be more. So if a publisher loves it and says, what else have you got? I can pitch it. I'm also doing a mystery series. I would rather do that. Actually, Sisterhood of the Black Dragonfly has two other books uh, that I could possibly do. The Broken Shield was written uh, as the first of a series, but also a shared universe type of anthology I had in mind for it. Waking Anastasia is the only one I've written really that doesn't have a sequel in mind. Although people who have read it said, are you going to do a sequel? I said, well, I guess I could, but it'd be weird just because of the way I ended it. <laughs> so I'm always thinking series potential, but yeah. again, because I'm trying to find the genre that I, not just that I can sell, but that I write the best. I grew up reading mysteries. Agatha Christie, um, uh, the Perry Mason books, Nancy Drew by the Hardy Boys, all of that stuff. So my stories tend to have a mystery, and now I'm actually writing a cozy mystery, and I've done a thriller, and I'm finding that I really like that. And I might put that into a fantasy environment, but I'm also leaning towards the traditional cozy mystery or the like one about a retired bus driver and a cat, you know, who are solving old cases. Um, so while they're one-offs, they, uh, the potential's there, that if it, any one of them took off, I could push the others aside and say, okay, I can handle that. Yeah. Let's, let's roll with this story. So let's talk about your experience with when words collide in the writing community. I couldn't do, I, I would not have been able to do any of this without it. Uh, specifically when words collide, but also I had been to, um, uh, World fantasy, but I'm not one who travels around to conventions. Uh, it doesn't work with my life. Uh, I will at some point when I start making bigger sales, but for me to jump on a cruise and go hang out with a bunch of science fiction writers is a lovely idea, but not within my budget. Right. <laughs> not when my last, not when my last statements, my last, uh, royalty statement from, oh, I'm trying to think of who it was. I won't say who it was, but it was a dollar sixty-eight. Yeah. <laughs> so not not making any great waves. So with it comes to the writers community, um, that's where I met my agent, Naomi. Uh, we met a number of years ago as auth. She's also a writer. We met that way. We formed a friendship, a uh, writerly relationship. She's given me great advice. Um, another agent that I've been pitching, uh, a, a couple of them, I met through when words collide. Uh, my beta readers are all met through, uh, well, problem. I'm just trying to think. They're either old personal friends that I've known since childhood, whose uh, literary pedigrees I know, or they're people I've met through when words collide. Yeah. And it's important to have beta readers that you respect and they understand what you're writing. And I couldn't do it without the, 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 the hands-on in-person writers community. You don't necessarily sell books at conventions. Having said that, Waking Anastasia was pitched at a convention uh, during one of the pitch sessions and was bought through that. 
And the pitch was written through one of the workshops at the convention. So if you take advantage of all those little things and don't just, well, in the beginning, I just wandered around in the background. I was at Calgary conventions back in the 90s and spoke to no one the entire time because I didn't know anybody. I was from out of town at the time. Yeah. So now I go and like you say, I do, I'll either teach something or sometimes sit in on a panel. Um, some years I'm there to learn. Some years I'm there to say what I've learned in the last year. Here's something you can all use. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the part of a community too, is that, uh, you know, you are, you know, contributing and, and you're getting back from the community. What things of value that add to your life as an author. Yes, exactly. Well, because I used to be a school teacher, um, I kind of like, you know, the idea of disseminating information I enjoy. And I think that we, I think we are all better when we share what we know. And that doesn't mean you have to be so obsessed with Twitter and Facebook that you absorb everything that comes at you because then you'll just go insane. (laughs) But if you, but if you see a lead, if I see a lead on Facebook that I know is a market that might work for my horror writer friends, then they, uh, you know, I'll f- send it off to them privately or post it uh, in, on the wall so that everybody can see it. Because that's what it is. It's a community. And writing is the most isolated of activities. It's, you know, you're, you're burying yourself in your home office or even behind headphones in, at a library and doing your best to create a world that's coming strictly from your mind. Yeah. And yet, and yet you're also needing the community out there for support, totally. for guidance, finding editors, critiquers, or just somebody to say, no, you don't suck. I love this story. And quite often you get ideas from those conversations that you hadn't thought of. Oh, I could do that. I never, there's a direction I could go in. Let's try that. So how long have you been attending Words Collide? Um, I've, I was at the first one, so it'll oh. be 10 years next year. Uh, yeah. uh, I was actually, it's, yes, it's come out nine, this was the ninth one. Next year's the 10-year anniversary, a really big deal. Um, because it's, you know, it's not hard to have a convention go 10 years, but to have it go successfully for 10 years with many more to come and to win as many awards as the committee uh, and you know, Randy and his committee have done well deservedly. Um, that's that's quite an achievement. But I was actually part of when Words Collide came about after a previous convention, Conversion, which had uh, which is where I met a lot of writers and started getting into the community. And then just I just kept following the group, uh, whether it's Randy McCharles specifically. But also, I belong to IFWA, which is the Imagine of Fiction Writers Association. Yeah. And when I was able to, I can't now because of my schedule and where I live, but I was going to meetings once a month. And that's where I found my beta readers. That's where I found my community. Mm-hmm. A lot of the committee members are belong to our, our particular writers group. We have writers across Canada, and possibly some in the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, but yeah, so I've been there since the beginning and watched it do wonderful things for people's careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and an amazing support network for sure. Oh, definitely, yes. It's uh, it's I find it's important for those uh, for conventions like When Words Collide, but specifically, is to not just go to the lectures and then go home. If you can manage it, make it to one party or one dinner, 
and do the social networking because you can learn a lot sitting in a classroom, but if you suddenly find that you're at a convention and you're sitting there having drinks with George R.R. R. Martin and he's talking about the pain in the butt going from book to you know screen, you're going to listen. Now, George was at uh, World Fantasy when we had it here in town, but he hasn't been at When Words Collide. No, uh, yeah. he's, he's become a slightly bigger name than the last time he was in town, but we get some wonderful writers with some, you know, Kevin J. Anderson, who, you know, people, you can find them at a scotch party or at a, you know, just a pajama party because we bring together the romance writers and the mystery writers and the just tip. find out. <laughs> the just, just find out. Sorry, the witch. Well, I just say I missed the scotch party and the tent party the last two years. But I, let me tell you what, August 2020, I'm at those parties. <laughs> it's like I'm not Where? missing another scotch party, I'm not missing another chair and cheap party. It's like it's not happening. <laughs> we're, we're working on making those ex- more accessible and uh, better advertised. Actually, the tent uh, tablecloth party. We actually formed a Facebook group for that and it had advertised and the hotel backed us up. They were wonderful with it and they gave us a space to do it in. And we had a great turnout. Sadly, we couldn't say we were going, we couldn't give people much warning on that, but it was a lovely bit of silliness. And a lot of, there were some interesting conversations that were had there. Well, I'm sure you'll, right. you'll turn and stand getting right out of that room. I'm sure. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing about these conventions is to go and be open, yeah. uh, just, you know, just like online, but there's something different about seeing somebody face to face. And there sadly, because I'm, because I'm bad with names and great with faces, I might recognize you, but if it's, you know, if all I'm looking at is your profile picture on Facebook and you come up to me and go, I haven't seen you, you know, in, in a year, I'm going, I'm completely blanking on this, but I'll be honest about it as best I can. And that's why we all wear really big name tags with an easy to read font. Oh, is that what that's all about? Jeez. Yes. <laughs> Teasing. That's and why, that's I why had, everybody's. I had it happen to me too. I actually walked up to Ron and Ron just looked at me and goes, I know, I know you, but I'm going, what is, you can just see it on his face. He's going, I can't find your name. <laughs> it's not in there. <laughs> it's not in there. Yeah. Exactly. And well, part of my problem is I don't, as I tell people, I don't live in this world, the world you and I are talking in. Yeah. I don't, I don't live in that world. I work in it. I sleep in it. I have the animals I feed it, but my brain is in my novels. And you know, if I'm at, if I'm at work and I can afford to let my brain wander a little bit, I'm not thinking about what's at the next, you know, what I'm looking at out the window. I'm thinking about what's my character doing at this particular point. I know my character's names better than I know my own family sometimes. This is your imagination at work, and we love it. So I want to say thank you very much, Tim, for joining us on Online for Authors today. And I wish you so much success with all that you're doing. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for having me on the, the show. It's, um, I love sharing my experiences, and especially at conventions. I think we're going to start uh, trying to get a few more panels where we sit around and throw ideas back and forth uh, rather than sitting at the table like a bunch of know-it-alls. And I'm not saying that's, that's how we come across. That's how I feel, that we yeah. sit up there and we're pronouncing how it should be. And I think we've had better luck with panels where we sit around 
with no table between us and the participants and just bounce questions and answers. And those people make those connections. And it's, uh, and I think it's so important with writers and through online for authors, a wonderful resource. Thank you. And to, uh, and, you know, Amazon people, some, you know, some people turn their heads and spit when you say Amazon, but it's the big kid on the block and you need to maximize your presence on it. And I know my presence needs to be worked on. And uh, as we were discussing before we started, there are little things that can be done and uh, it's lots of fun. Thank you very much for having me on. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about my work and for people to know who I am and and see the old man, although I may shave the beard off and throw a hat on, they won't recognize me next time they see me, but I'm never afraid if somebody comes up and says, I saw that, I saw, heard this, I read that. Can we talk? Yes, of course. Yeah. I'm always okay. happy to uh, to listen as well as talk. Love that about this community, and thank you so much again, Tim. You have a fantastic day. Okay. Thank you. You too, Jennifer. Thank have you. Have a good day. Thank you.